In this podcast, Pamela Barty, a Forbes 30 under 30 entrepreneur and developer of a hundred million dollar real estate empire, will share her inspiring underdog comeback story. And along with those of her guests, she'll share how you too, as an underdog, can rise up and succeed against all odds. Here's your host, Pamela Barty. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Underdog. Thank you so much for being here. Today, I have the honor of having the fabulous Jill Johnson on our podcast. Welcome, Jill. Hi, Pamela. I'm so glad to be here. I'm looking forward to our conversation. I am too. I'm so blessed to have you here today. So, Jill, my gosh, where do I start with your amazingness between your $4 billion in business decisions that you've influenced and just the rock star that you are, I think it would probably be best if you started at where you are now and sort of how you got there or however, which way you think. Well, you know, I'm at a place where I'm able to pick and choose the clients that I work with. I say no to a lot of people. I am at a point where I'm looking at how can I leverage my insight and content in other avenues beyond the management consulting work that I do for the clients that I work with. And it's about building relationships with old and new friends like you. And, and really looking at, as I've lived since my parents died, and I hope we'll talk about that for the last two and a half decades about trying to make a difference every day. And so spending some time rethinking what does making a difference mean to me and where and how do I show up in the world. But the reality is that's the same stuff I was thinking about three decades ago <laughs> and trying to find my place. And But I think the difference is there's the desperation is a little tampered. It's not quite that deep-seated hunger has been filled a bit. So I, I find that I'm at more ease in, in where I'm at now, but it was a very long journey of trying to find that. And because I come from a very humble beginnings, very uh, small town background, very blue collar background, and the world I work in today is sea level. I work with, you know, some pretty amazing clients, names that you would recognize and and many that you wouldn't, but it's, they each in their own right make a difference. And, and those were hard earned. I mean, working with clients of that scale and caliber is Mayo Clinic. I work with one of their divisions, Salvation Army, worked with one of their regional offices and then national and international associations and organizations. So the scale of clients has evolved over time, even though mentally I felt like I was ready when I was 26. <laughs> and actually, technically I was. <laughs> <laughs> uh, intellectually, I was, but I didn't have the gravitas. I didn't have the chops to be able to play in those rooms and to control that room and to influence decisions in those big rooms. And so, so it's been a big arc. So we can go to whichever, wherever you'd like to, to start from there. Yeah. So my number one question is always, how did you get started? Well, I think it's, it's more of a, for me, it was 
I knew when I was very young, and, and we're talking in my teens now, I knew that I wanted more than that small town life. And part of that was fueled by my mother. I had a very interesting childhood. My father was an entrepreneur. He started an auto body repair shop with his father in our little small town. My mother worked as an executive secretary at the world headquarters for 3M. So I had this really odd balance of entrepreneur, dreamer, and executive level thinker. My mother really ran the division for the guys she worked with, just truth be told. Um, but back in that era, you know, if when you got pregnant, you couldn't come to work. So for mm -hmm. my mom, really? Yeah, yeah. Back when, when my mom got pregnant with me, she had to, to stay home. She could not go into work once she started to show. And it was you know, a lot of, hey, honey, I, 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 I go back to the days when women needed a, a man in their family to co-sign a loan if they wanted to get a business loan. So in my lifetime, lots of <laughs> things have changed. But what was so interesting is that my mom, because of what she was exposed to in that professional corporate world, was able to bring that back into the things that she gave and shared with me. Mm -hmm. And fortunately, they hired a woman to take care of me. And, you know, back then they just called it babysitting. But in reality, Margaret was like a tutor. She was a retired school teacher. So I was reading when I was three and a half. And for me, reading really was what opened up the entire world for me of places and possibilities. And I was reading books about the girl in England who had a horse. And, and, and what I looked at too, is a lot of the books that I read as a kid were, book, were books about people overcoming an obstacle. Like the girl in England had polio and, and her horse helped her get over the physical difficulties of having polio and she saved the day. And, and then there was a boy who had a German shepherd who was his guide dog because he'd been holding firecrackers and they had gone off and he lost his sight. And so his dog was what helped him back. So there was a parallel of animals and, and overcoming obstacles. And, and that's so me. And so as I was growing up and I was being stimulated and challenged on these two different, different parallel ends, um, my, my mother, I, I didn't realize until many years ago, so much of what she was trying to teach me was about strategy. And I just, it, she actually bought games. 3M used to sell these board games that, that I just played. And we were looking for them the, uh, about a year ago on the internet, trying to figure out now which ones were they. And, you know, I wanted to get them because we were going to do some board game stuff. And I was looking at them like, oh my God, these board games are all strategy games. Mm -hmm. Every single one of them that she brought home for me to play. And by the time, you know, and I started, I had my first real job working for a school district teaching dancing when I was 12 years old. And I had real jobs not working for my family all the way through high school or junior high and high school. And so when I was in high school, my, there was a program back then called Junior Achievement. And back in that era, JA, you would go like every Wednesday night and you would set up a company and you'd 
manufacture. You'd pick a product, you'd manufacture the product, people in the company would sell the product during the week, we would come back the following week and manufacture some more product to, to sell, and, and then at the end of the year we would liquidate, and then there were competitions. And so my mother encouraged me to participate in the competitions, and I won pretty much every major award they had at Junior Achievement in St. Paul. Um, I was their top achiever. I won a major scholarship. I was president of the year. We placed in company of the year. We, we were in the finals for annual report. I was speaker of the year, everything of the year. And with JA, I was being exposed to kids who were thinking bigger, who loved business, loved the competitions. And then I competed at the national competition for JA. And that was the game changer. By then I had been doing Harvard Business Review case studies for fun. And I love the analysis. I love the analytics. And I knew the four P's of marketing. And I was just so immersed in business. And it was everything about it I found so stimulating and so full of opportunity. And when I was going through the preparation for the JA conference for the president of the year competition, I happened to uh, reach out to a friend of mine in Chicago who I had co-chaired a conference. So I spoke in front of 1,500 people <laughs> when I was 17 years old. Oh my goodness. I was like, oh, it's nothing. And, and it was great. And so we co-chaired this huge conference. And so I'm speaking in front of all these people and I called him and I said, Tony, I'm getting ready for the competition. And he said, Jill, I have a meeting set up and I need you to get here. So I go to my mom and I still can't believe she did this. And I said, mom, I need to get to Chicago because Tony has a guy he wants me to meet. Okay. So I got in the car, got to Chicago and we're talking. This was not the normal thing that one allowed their young daughter to do back in that era. And so I got down there and I went to this lunch. It was at a private club, so an exclusive private club in downtown Chicago. So you have all the titans of industry, right? And this guy did what I would today term a two-hour throwaway lunch. It, it's one of those just those things you do. I walked out of that room going, that's what I'm going to be. The guy was a management consultant. I found out years later, he was the senior vice president of one of the 10 largest manufacturer management consulting firms in the country. At the time, we had that lunch. And I, by then, knew myself so well and understood so much of the fundamental foundations of business that I knew that's what I wanted to be. But I had no idea how I would make it happen. You talk about being an underdog. I was under the dog's underdog <laughs> because I had no connections. I had no silver spoon. I didn't at that time have an education, but I knew I was going to college. And I didn't know how I was going to open this up, but I ended up, I, I went to school and I double majored in business and I um, went to get my MBA and one day in the middle of class first semester of MBA pro graduate school my finance professor said hey the small business development center at our university is looking to hire some MBA students to be consultants working with small businesses that through this, because this was back during a very bad economic time. Mm -hmm. And he said, they're looking for students that will do it. I think I knocked over three people <laughs> trying to get out of the classroom to get up the stairs to put my name in for consideration. Mm -hmm. And I remember when Lou Wood 
interviewed me. He was just, I mean, the look on his face was so hilarious because he was just blown away. And he stopped me about 10 minutes into the interview. He's like, just stop, stop. And I said, oh, no, what's wrong? What's wrong? He said, oh, no. He said, I'm hiring you because you're unlike any other MBA student I've ever had in here. And that was the start of it in October of 1982. And I just crushed it. Um, we figured out how to cash flow some businesses that were on the verge of the families losing their home. We helped manufacturing companies that were trying to figure out how to find new markets. I just found some brochures cleaning this weekend of another one of the old clients. Um, you know, we didn't have all the glamour clients, but trust me, I, I worked with everything from a hypnotherapist to a chimney sweep <laughs> and everything in between. And, and Shirley had, was she was teaching how to use a microwave. Now you have to understand back then microwaves were a new gadget. That was like funky new technology that nobody knew how to use. It did not have a popcorn button back then. Um, I will tell you. And so she was going in to stores and they were hiring her company so that she would go in and do demos in their kitchen appliance area, showing housewives who were coming through shopping how to use this newfangled gadget called a microwave. And she's now 84 and living in South Dakota. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, because it, it was so great. She unfortunately never fully impacted me on my culinary skill. But again, it was so amazing. And so I had this litany of really crazy clients, some really impressive, some, you know, whatever. And I remember there was this one woman who came in and she so badly wanted to buy a franchise, like a donut franchise. And as I was talking to her, I just said, you know, why do you want to do this? You work on the factory line at a glove factory. Help me understand how your experience will translate. And so we had a really hard conversation about her preparation to quote unquote fulfill that dream because my goal was I didn't want her to spend the hard-earned savings that she had to buy a business that she knew nothing about and wasn't going to be successful in running, but doing that in that, that gentle mutual discovery kind of way. And after we were done and she came back and she said, I just have to thank you because I've decided I really shouldn't be doing that. There's other things that I need to focus on. And she gave me this little wishing well. And um, it was a brass wishing well she bought for me. I still have it in my office because she found a different dream. And so even back in those early days, I was starting to explore what it meant to be a consultant, what it meant to have impact, what it meant to be able to interact and be truthful and candid with a client, which all these many years later are the foundation of the essence of what I do best, but now I've got augmented skills with research and analysis and more sophisticated planning, but it was embryonic. But when I finished my graduate program, then the real hard time, that was when the rubber really met the road, because now how was I going to take this part-time job as a consultant and convert it into a career? Mm. And everyone said, Jill, you're too young and you're female. No one will ever hire you tell me what they won't do. <laughs> <laughs> I dare you, <laughs> right? But you know, I'm a persistent little cuss. And, and I think that's one of the things that any underdog who is able to move beyond the under yeah. is able to pursue 
despite the things that people tell them that are designed to keep them in the place that they're in then. My advisor in college told me I didn't need a double major or an MBA. I, I remember walking out of there and I was so mad. Oh my gosh. I was so angry. I'm like, you don't even know my flipping name. You do not get to decide what my future will be. And so I, I went to the admissions office and I got the course catalog and I went down to the, um, the, the little area that we had for, for food service and I spread out on the table and I mapped out how could I get my double major in two years so that I wouldn't have to take it? Because I didn't have any money, my gosh. I mean, we were lucky I was able to try to figure out how to get through two years, four years of school. So there was no extra money. And so I wanted to get that double major within that, that time period, and I did. And then I figured out how to, to get my MBA, and I got almost my entire MBA paid for by fellowship, uh, fellowships that I'd earned. And it was another notch in the quiver. And, and then, you know, the MBA opened up the first store and then badgering the other consultants that worked there, many of whom were much older. They were all, many of them were self-employed consultants. And I kept saying, well, well, how do I get started? What can I do? How do I need to prepare myself? And well, okay, so I'm young and I'm female. I can't change either one of those things. So what else can I do? How, what, what would be the next step? Mm. And finally, I think mostly to shut me up and make me leave him alone, this one guy named Jerry reached out to a local management consulting firm in Des Moines, which is where I, I was at the time. And he said, so Jill, they said they'll talk to you. I'm like, Yes, yes. I became the first woman they had ever hired for the professional consulting staff. I was more than 30 years younger than the next closest in age. And I had more formal business education than the other people on the team. And But what was so great about that experience, even though it was miserable as hell, and I was lighting candles three times a day at the cathedral by the time it was done, you know, I'd go in the morning, dear God, please get me through the till lunch and then I come back at lunch thank you so much for the morning now how about the afternoon and <laughs> you know and then I'd be at the you know 515 mass with the three old ladies the two nuns and the priest and me and it's like thank you for getting me through yet one more day it was a miserable experience but again I believe and I think most underdogs will know even the most miserable experiences can be the catalyst for moving forward and they can also be deeply and richly filled with insights about the what to do and the what not to do. Mm -hmm. And so I eventually, I, I finally couldn't take it anymore. And I asked my parents if I could come home and they, they were laughing and they're like, we wondered how long it would take. I'm like, you're not mad? And they said, no, you lasted longer than we thought you would. And so I came home. It was very clear. I wasn't ready to start my own practice yet, but I knew I wanted to stay in consulting. Mm. And so I ended up, I went to a library called the Hill Reference Library. Eventually, many years later, I served on their board of directors and, and the executive committee of the board. And, and it was a business research library. And so I researched who hires consultants. And I came upon an epiphany. And that was that public accounting firms hired a lot of MBA students for their consulting divisions. The way accounting worked was if you were um, a CPA, you went to tax and audit. And if you were an MBA, that was your credential that earned you a place in 
the consulting side. Now I have to tell your audience, I got a D in accounting 12 my second time through as an undergrad. And I just was like, how is this going to work? But I did much, much better in graduate school. I, I got an A on my first graduate school because it was managerial accounting made more sense to me than debits and credits. And, you know, I was always going to have somebody else do that. So I'm in this library and I have this list that I got of the top 25 CPA firms in the Twin Cities area. And I wrote a cold letter of introduction with my resume because back then, again, you did all of this by snail mail. And I sent my resume to all these firms. And I ended up getting hired by one of the largest CPA firms in the country. That was back in the era of the big eight. They were number nine, but they were among the 20 largest management consulting practices in the world at the time that I worked for them. And again, it was, oh, so hard. And that's the thing about an underdog is you're willing to do the hard work. You are willing to slog through mud to reach your dream and goal. And so for me, it was learning to overcome any potential fear of numbers. It was understanding complex finance. The biggest deal I worked on then was doing a market study for a $200 million three project development, real estate development. And I still have the big trophy. It's in my office as well. And, you know, $200 million 30 some years ago, that was a lot of money in today's world. And, but, and it was such a huge deal. And it was a project that my manager had screwed up. And so he came and dumped it on my desk and he said, figure out how to do it. And by then, I, what I knew about myself is that I was really wickedly resourceful and I would be able to figure it out. And, and I did, and they got their financing. And I was learning so many things. I was learning things technically. I was learning about internal politics. I was learning about business development. I was overwhelmed with the things that I was learning that I knew were gonna take me a long time to distill down but I was like a Hoover vacuum cleaner. I was just sucking all of it in because I knew that job in that world-class public accounting, CPA, management consulting practice firm was going to be the game changer that set the stage for the rest of my career. And it absolutely was. And so, you know, so I look back all these years later and go, every time they said no, I found another way. But I also was prepared. And I think that's another part of it is you can't just have a big wish. You have to do the work to earn the credential, to earn the right to be in the room. And then just, you know, went through all of that. And like so many of the people that I'm sure are watching this, we went through another weird economic blip. And my manager came in and said, well, I'm laying you off. I'm like, okay. Then I think he thought I should be like, curled up in the fetal position on the floor. But what he didn't know is I had been freelancing for almost a year. Oh my God. <laughs> I had a business plan. I had been saving. I knew that I was going to go out on my own one day. And I knew if I was going to do that, I needed financial reserves. So at the last, a year earlier, I had had a huge promotion and I got a 33% increase in pay with that promotion. And I marched right down to my bank and I said, I want to continue to live on the income that I have now, and I want to pull this extra out every pay period. And we set up a separate account at the bank that the banker and I laughingly called JBF, Jill's Business Fund. 
Oh my gosh. And so I had been saving money for a year. I had been freelancing for a year and I made a sale my first day out and I haven't looked back since. Funny part of the story is the firm I work for is no longer in existence. The manager that I work for has had a, a very challenging career, we will say, since he left the firm. Because I was the one that carried all of the projects he was screwing up. And mm -hmm. so when he didn't have that cover any longer, he, no one, he had nowhere to hide. It was, so all of those things together created a really unusual experience of being that underdog every step of the way, I was most of the time the only woman in the room. I was almost always dismissed because I was young. And I'm five, one and a half-ish. You know, I will never, ever be that leader that everyone looks up to height-wise. <laughs> and so, you know, all of those things that by every stretch of the imagination should have been a deal breaker for any potential success for me, I made work to my advantage. And so as things progressed, by the time I was 29, I was named Minnesota's Young Entrepreneur of the Year by the U.S. Small Business Administration. I parlayed gender and business. And so I got involved with the National Association of Women Business Owners. I became the youngest ever president in the history of the Minnesota chapter, and then served four years on the National Board of Directors when I was, you know, in my early 30s. And so I was exposing myself to really sophisticated leadership, not just through that. And then that parlayed into the Minneapolis Chamber of Commerce Board and Executive Committee. I chaired a committee for the Minnesota Chamber of Commerce. They had five major committees. I chaired one of them um, in my mid-30s. And that I parlayed into a seat on their board of directors for the Minnesota State Chamber of Commerce, which is it's unheard of for us, an entrepreneur who was as small as I was at that time to have a seat. That board is so coveted. And, and, and then that just led to all these other opportunities, but yet they weren't gifts. I earned my seat at the table. And, and so my message for the underdogs listening is I want you to think about your mindset and, and recognize the truth about, yes, you are lacking in these five things. Okay. What are you going to do to work on that? What are you going to do to fix it? And, and how are you going to earn your stripes so that you can earn your place at the table? And so it just, it went from there. And all these many years later, I'm, you know, now in a couple of business halls of fame and, and sustain that level of success and have continued to level up with the clients that I work with. And it's been an amazing arc and journey. It's incredible. Oh man, boy, do I have questions for you. Oh. Go for it. I'll be so, more succinct. Well, I've got to ask you throughout your time, in the beginning especially, because obviously that's the hardest part, because after you get over that hump, it's like you crawl, you walk, and then you hit the ground running, right? And that's exactly what you did. But I'm going to tell you, and then when you move to that next level, you start all over again. Ooh. And so you've never fully arrived if you continue to aspire to more. I think that's part of the challenge. But I had the skills of, okay, oh, I know how it, what it feels like to crawl through mud. And it didn't take as long <laughs> on some of the other things, if you will, to crawl through the next layer. So what's your question? What do you want to know? Yes. How did you keep your mentality balanced in the beginning? Because 
it's that's the hardest part is the beginning is starting like you said you know you had just just been laid off and then you don't have a track record right well i mean i guess you could i did have a track record i had a year and a half uh roughly almost two years working for the small business development center yep i had a year at batten so i had and that was actually one of the world's most highly recognized organizational development consulting firms in the world it just happened to be based in des moines and yeah and joe batten who was one of the co-founders wrote the first business book that ever made the new york times bestseller and of course i was too young and too dumb at the time to fully understand what an opportunity i had created for myself because i was so fixated on what it wasn't I wish I could go back and leverage a few more opportunities from that. And then I had almost four years at a public accounting firm. Mm -hmm. So I actually had deep experience. I'd worked with a wide cross section of clients. And because I volunteered at the CPA firm, I would work on anything and everything they would let me touch. So Mm -hmm. just like in the SBDC, I worked with the microwave lady to the hypnotherapist to the pharmacy at the CPA firm. I did everything from uh, feasibility studies for high stakes Indian bingo casino in the state of Washington to restaurant feasibility studies, uh, hotel feasibility studies, both full service and economy lodging, which was a brand new concept back then. And because no one else would do it, I offered to work in the senior living space. And so I was working with the top people in our firm. Um, I ghost wrote for our national managing partner, the major article, the firm used to submit a comparable study every year to people in the industry. I did the research and wrote major strategy article that he put his name on. He didn't change a single punctuation mark or word in what I submitted but he put his name on it. And I remember being really mad. I'm like, how could he do that? I don't get credit for it. And then I realized, oh my God, do you realize how good that was that he couldn't find a single thing to change? And for me, it was like, it was light bulbs going, wow, I do know my stuff. And so I had earned all of that cred before I went out on my own. What I didn't have fully developed at that point when I left was business development. I had all the foundational skill sets, but learning the art of closing the deal uh, and getting people to pay you money and learning how not to bother with cold calls that are just favors to friends so that they can say they tried to help you and <laughs> and they're referring you to somebody who and you know that somebody is just doing it as a favor it's it's not a real project um and i i learned really quick to to not bother <laughs> no. yes. um, but it's but then it's still about you know how do you leave your mark how do you leave your mark on your client and then how do you leave your mark in your community and, and so for me, I used community and community leadership as my, almost like a PhD in leadership and skill set. And especially as I had opportunities, because I was that rising star, if you will. I mean, I was that, the equivalent of the young professional that people were recognizing my talent and my skill and wanted to be a part of helping me move forward. And so I earned opportunities to move into more sophisticated spaces, but then I worked my rear end off so that I was able to deliver on the things that I had been charged with. And then that leveled up even more 
one after the other. And so for your underdogs, you know what hard work is, but you need to channel the hard work into the things that will make the most difference as you move forward and are the kinds of things that are meaningful to building the career or the opportunities that you want to have. And there's no shortcut for it. It still takes hard work. Magical thinking does not make things happen. Right. I should say that because, you know, I had a lot of, so I was like, oh, I just wish, you know, wishing on the star. But, you know, at the end of the day, you still had to step into the ring and battle for the opportunity. That was like my question too, is like, you know, you had all this background, you had everything, but what mentality kept you like moving forward? Did you have like a mantra at the time that kept you? Because you were like, I feel like you were just like plowing through stuff. You're like, I got this. Because it's like to have unshakable confidence like that, you know, being the only woman in the room. Like, I mean, I know now for me, it's changed. It's shifted. But like you were literally there at that stage where it literally was just you. And how do you maintain that confidence and how do you stay unshakable? But especially in the beginning when you were starting off on your own and you're like learning all these different things about operating it on your own and building your first client base. I mean, of course you had the existing network and, and all of that, but you still had a lot of hard work to do to keep it, you know, to get it to the next level. Well, and even though I had worked with all those clients at Big Firm, I, as a solopreneur, yeah. was not someone they desired to work with. Right, right. There's a lot of liability and they need a big flag. So that's why people will go to a public accounting firm or they'll go to a McKinsey or they'll go to a band, they'll go to a company that's got what, what I call a flag, mm -hmm. a recognizable flag. And Johnson Consulting Services was not recognizable to anyone. Right. But what I had was a mother who was a cattle prod. Okay, now what are you going to do? Nothing was ever enough for my mom. God love her. And it's like, okay, now what? Now what? It was always what's next? What's next? And so there was that push from her. And, you know, my father didn't really understand this business world that I was in, but he understood about customers and client relationships. And so when I was thinking about my business name, I was thinking about, you know, like seagull consulting and, you know, BS like that. And he took me and he just said, no, if you're going to start a business, it needs to have your name in it. And it has to be good enough to have your name on it for a report to go out the door. And that was how he had viewed his own business. And I'm like, wow. And even all these years later, if I try and sign the transmittal letter a little early when I'm working on a project, I always mess up the signatures. So I was like, dad was right. But I also found a network of like-minded people. So one of the other reasons I had been going to the women business owners meetings several years before I started my business because I wanted to put myself and to be around other people who were doing what I dreamed of doing one day. I was volunteering with SCORE, the Service Corps of Retired Executives, as it was called back then. I was a SCORE volunteer when I was 25 years old. Oh and I regularly, every month, was one of the speakers that they had for their going into business workshop. Most of the time in the early days, I did the marketing planning section. And then, you know, many years later, it was the business planning piece. But here's the other part of it, Pamela. I was practicing my speaking skills. Yeah. I was practicing and doing, you know, essentially by storytelling business development, I was setting up business development, but mostly I was building skill set and I was building network. And I was surrounding myself with people who 
believed in some small part of this bigger dream that wasn't even fully formed for myself. But the game changer for me was getting that SBA award, being acknowledged by the major government agency in the US that deals with small business and recognizes small business talent. That was a door opener for me. And it, it really was the opportunity then for me to level up. I had to have been in business three years by the time the award was received. I made it by seven days calendar wise. <laughs> uh. and, and so I took that opportunity and then took it to the next. But there were many days of panic and terror. There were so many days when I didn't think it was going to work. You know, consulting is often a business of feast or famine. I still have days where I think, oh, nobody ever going to call me again. I feel kind of whiny and and then I smack myself and go, oh for Pete's sake really <laughs> but we get into those head spaces and it's how you get out of them and it's finding trusted advisors that you can be truthful with because a lot of times when I would get would be stuck it was because there were things that I either wasn't doing or was conveying some level of lack of ability to move forward and or I had finally hit the wall and I needed to develop a new skill and sometimes we're too close to that and so my philosophy on mentoring is that anybody can mentor me you're going to be a mentor to me on some different things over the next decade as we get to know each other and and so I have had developed very early on an ability to really look at how could I learn from everyone who crossed my path, good or bad. Mm -hmm. Sometimes what the best learning was that I'm never going to do that mm -hmm. to, oh my gosh, I like how they handle whatever it was. And then you can have professional coaches. You know, I'm very selective about the people that I pull into my orbit. I'm, I tend to be very private, but I also really need to have that trust factor. And there were a lot of people that I had gotten to know in the business community. I have a superpower. Would you like me to tell you what my superpower is? One of them? Please, yes. Even though I've been doing all the talking here, my superpower is people tell me the things that they wouldn't reveal normally to other people. I can't tell you the number of times that I have people throw their hands over their mouth and go, I've never said that. I've never told anyone that, you know, whether it's they were sexually abused when they were a kid to, you know, I'm on the verge of bankruptcy or, you know, whatever it might be. And so my ability to have that ability to get to the deep seated truth and then the piercing insight to understand what that means I didn't understand how unique a skill that those skills were until, you know, I, I had more seasoning. And so being able to, to draw in for myself, the people who could provide those layers of insight, I found sometimes in the most unusual of places. One was a voice teacher. I have a four octave singing voice. And in my mid twenties, I started taking voice lessons because I had had a heckler. And so I was going to overcome that fear. I had had a meltdown on stage. It wasn't pretty. I was in college. So I forgive myself because I was very young. But what I needed to do was to learn how to not do that because I was doing, I was starting to do so much speaking that mm. I needed to be able to know how to handle the room. And so I decided to blend the two together. And so Oksana and I would practice 
walking onto the stage. We would practice, what would it feel like if I had someone who was deliberately trying to throw me off my game and who was trying to sabotage my performance, if you will. Well, all of that translated into the business world for me, even though I was using it through that quote unquote hobby of singing. And so I just sought out people who could give me truth and deeper insight into myself so that I could, when I wasn't having days of feeling all that, I would think of something they had said. And you asked about mantras. I've had a variety of mantras over the years. Um, you, you know, one for determination was I can, I will, I am, and I'm gonna, mm -hmm. you know, and I would, would mantra out that. Um, as I got older, the mantra for me became, why not me? Some of the students mm. people God ever created have achieved great success. Why not me? I'm wicked smart. I'm good with people. I can read a room. I've got great skills. All of that. Why not me? You know, I need to make a coffee mug or a pillow um, with that embroidered <laughs> on it. But, you know, whatever it is, it becomes that secondary thing that you do. But I also think it's the quality of the people around you. And when I say around you, I don't mean they have to be physically in your space. And so it can be people that you interact with. Back in the old days, we used the thing called the telephone. <laughs> it's a novel concept. And, and so you would reach out by phone and talk to somebody or you would, you know, go to a conference. I love going to conferences. In fact, as a professional speaker, I always try and stay for the full event. So if somebody brings me out for, you know, and I'm the, you know, a morning kickoff speaker, or I'm speaking at lunch, I stay for the whole thing. Because even though it's in maybe an unrelated industry to anything I'm working on directly with clients, I still see parallels and patterns and insights that I then look at, well, how could my clients draw what I just learned? And, you know, I'm able to take it to spin, but it keeps me current. It keeps me stimulated. It keeps pulling me into bigger insight and understanding. And so I just don't stay in that comfort zone of what reinforces my already predetermined opinion. Mm -hmm. I'm looking for things that stretch me and for an underdog to succeed, they have to move beyond that, that framework and that the, the voices surrounding them that only know what they know. Mm -hmm. And if you want to be and do more, you have to move yourself out of that comfort zone. You have to challenge the confirmation bias that you're getting. You have to challenge the decision bias that is being given to you. And that requires a fearless willingness to put yourself in vulnerable, and I don't mean physically vulnerable, but, but vulnerable to fail your positions. And then looking at and learning how you can leverage those to maximize. And, and it's through the learnings that you have the ability to have that bigger success. Absolutely. And now that's going to tie me in directly into your books because you've written some amazing books on practical steps on how yeah. you can get there. Like right behind you is the Career Confidence Workbook. And I believe that's the latest and greatest, right? That is the latest and greatest. You know, over the years, you know, I, I mentor a lot of people. And, but the reality is, is I just can't mentor everyone who calls. And so what I decided to do, I did a speech a few years back 
And it was one of those speeches that you dream of as a speaker. I, I had 450 people in the audience and I nailed every element of that presentation. They were laughing, they were, you know, doing call and repeat with me. They were fully engaged and interacting. And it was really ultimately about how do you build your confidence? I had senior level execs from major Fortune 100 firms that were in the audience that came up, that sought me out afterward and said, I really need to talk to you. And it was because I had just shared so many truths about how hard that journey is and, and how you build your confidence and get your legs straight, land in a straight line. Then you do it on a balance beam that's a floor beam, so it's right on the floor. Then you do it on one foot beam, and then you do it on a four foot beam and master the skill there. Mm -hmm. And then you start all over again. And the framework that I created was the whole concept of practice. You have to put yourself in variety of different rooms so that you can learn how to handle them. And so for me, I broke down my confidence as a business owner, an executive. And so sometimes I'll be working on my speaking skills and stage presence or movement on a stage or vocal intonation. Then it might be I'm learning about boards and what does it mean to be a board member? What do board members think about? So I can offer deeper insight to the clients that I'm working with. And you know, now my latest is technology. Well, at each one of those, I build my confidence through the progression of working on the skill. But more importantly, I'm looking for arenas and places to practice. So we're practicing, if you will, today, being, you know, using technology to convey insight and information. And then the third part is presentation. How do you bring yourself to the world? You know, are you like, oh gosh, you know, I just, I don't really, I'm not that good at it. You know, are the words and the language that you say, you know, women are notorious for saying, well, I'm really not sure how, you know, exactly what to do. And, you know, and they talk around a topic, and they never get to the point. So by the time they get to the point, nobody's listening to them because there was no point to hear and they've lost their audience. That just blows me away to think about, you know, some little girl in Germany, you know, or some executive in, in the UK is reading this because it's resonating with a much wider age group than I ever envisioned, you know? And so we had done an initial workbook and we expanded it and we took a lot of the insights out of the book to share with the Career Confidence Workbook, which is on Amazon now, it's, it's brand new. And then we also, this isn't yet on Amazon, it may be by the time this show airs, but people said, Jill, is, do you have a more succinct, you had such great insight in the original book. Do you have some, um, you know, like, some tips or, you know, a smaller version of that that I can use. So we went back through and we gutted everything in the main book that was a story. We pulled out anything that wasn't advice. There was so much advice in there. I had enough advice to create a tip book. <laughs> so, you know, about this concept of squeeze much um, juice out of the orange as you can. And so we'll be wrapping that up. But people also say, oh, Pamela, they're like, Jill, you're an old school management consultant, you know, you're doing competitor intelligence and secret shopping and all sorts of, you know, real consulting stuff. You're not a coach, you're not a life coach, and you, you don't intend to be. Why on earth did you take the time to put so much effort into writing about confidence? And the reality is, is that I see it all the time at, in the mid-level managers that work for my C-suite 
um, clients. I see it in my C-suite clients themselves. This economic instability that we're in right now has undermined the confidence of a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And so the, you know, helping people to have this framework that they can go back through. And I've tell a lot of funny stories in there about, you know, really <laughs> interesting things that have happened over the years, but how, and then what that's meant. And, you know, it's part of, you know, creating something that's entertaining. It's won a bunch of awards and I'm so proud of, you know, that one speech. Mm-hmm. And Betty Pogerman wrote a book called Games Mother Never Taught You. And that was like my Bible during the early days of my business career. And, and it was about, you know, women coming into the workforce and it was such a new phenomenon. And even though, you know, the younger generations have had all kinds of different educational opportunities and everything else, there's still so much to learn. So Jill, where can everybody find you? So you can reach me on my website, which is www.jcs hyphen usa.com so it's j for johnson c for consulting s for services so jcs-usa.com and i'm also on social media um, i'm on, on twitter and instagram as jill johnson usa and you can find me on linkedin under that same search engine too i love it jill thank you so much for your time today oh my gosh it was such a pleasure i look i just i so enjoyed the opportunity to share with you and with your audience thank you so much jill and everyone's got to go out there and check out this career confidence workbook that jill has put out it's really phenomenal stuff and jill thank you again so much for being here we can't wait to see what you're going to be working on next because i'm sure there'll be another interview soon oh i like that idea Thank you, Jill. Thank you. The only dream that I've been chasing is my own. So that's it for today's episode of Underdog. Head on over to iTunes and subscribe to the show. One lucky listener every single week that posts a review on iTunes will win a chance in the grand prize drawing to win a private VIP day with Pamela herself in Boston, Massachusetts. Be sure to go to theunderdogshow.com and pick up a copy of Pamela's free gift and join us on the next episode.